I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Hi, I'm Moon Unit Zappa, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. Pantheon Podcasts presents from Toronto, Canada, Muses, with your hosts, Shanti and Lynx, the podcast that celebrates the women of rock and roll. Interviews, stories, and fabulous fun. So, grab those backstage passes and let's get to our show. Hello there. Welcome to Muses. My name is Chantelle Lemieux. And I'm Lynx O'Leary. This podcast is all about women in music, women who were behind the scenes, on the side of the stage, who were there, they saw it all. Yes. Sometimes they wrote about it. And a hundred and what now, 15, 16 episodes in? Mm -hmm. So if you're just tuning in, you have plenty to go back on. And if you've been with us this whole journey, thank you so much. All right. Well, welcome. As we said, we are the hosts of Muses Podcast, and if you haven't already checked out our Patreon, we would really appreciate you going over to our page, have a look around, and see if maybe $5 a month is right for you. 
So we've got half a year of bonus content. We've got, we've watched movies, we've had some wine, we've had some cries, we've opened up about our own lives. We've made playlists, Mm -hmm. we just talk about everything that kind of comes to mind on there and we've definitely been having a lot of fun doing them and I'm excited to do even more in the new year and we also want to start doing video stuff so that's something to look forward to. That's right. And Lynx and I have a big trip to Las Vegas for Miss Pamela's International Doll Con, which is at the end of February. So if you've ever been curious to go to one of Miss Pamela DeBar's writing workshops, why not just jump right in and come to Vegas? Right. We're renting a big house. So it's going to be a bunch of amazing women from all different parts of the United States, maybe some women from the UK, we're from Canada, and all ages, all different kinds of jobs and experiences. And And this will be your second. It'll be my second and my first, which I'm very, very excited for. Not my first writing workshop with Pamela, but my first Vegas doll con. Oh, it was amazing. It was such an amazing experience that yes, I am going back to Vegas because I enjoyed it so much more than I thought I would. And we'll definitely be putting a ton of stuff up on the Patreon from that. And it's also through our generous patrons that has helped us go on this journey too. So thank you all for supporting us and supporting what we do. And it's very much appreciated. And we can't wait to bring you more content because of that. That's right. Yeah. Okay, Lynx, you're presenting today. Well, today I got one for my pops. I'm doing Hank and Audrey Williams. My dad has always told me this really adorable story. When he was a kid, his dad, his favorite musician was Hank Williams. And my dad says that he used to take the Hank Williams records and he would sit there when he was like three, four years old. And he would, with his finger, go around the record and sing it like like he was the record player. So he has really fond memories listening to Hank Williams and that connection, I guess, to his dad as well. And I guess that was also probably his first array into music, you know, that's that's the standout for my dad. And um, when I learned more about Hank, and of course, no surprise, he had an amazing wife who really pushed him forward. And so I really wanted to be able to tell their story. And it's an interesting one. And it's nice to kind of do like a country-ish version of muses because we don't have that many of those yet so for this episode I read a book called Still in Love with You and it was written by Lucretia Williams and Dale Finisser. Lucretia Williams is Audrey Williams daughter and Hank's adopted daughter. Nice. So I'm going to start with telling you a little bit about Audrey. So Audrey was born Audrey Mae Shepard on February 28th 1923 in Banks Alabama. She was raised on a farm that was owned and tended by her parents. They raised cotton, corn, peanuts, tended to chickens, cows, hogs, horses, mules. Very big farm. Lots going on there. She had three younger siblings, Eldridge, who sadly passed away at 10 from pneumonia, and two sisters, Loretta and Lynette. Audrey was a good student. She worked hard. She loved sports, especially basketball, and she was the star of her high school basketball team. Cool. Yeah. She also adored music. Her dad played guitar and fiddle, and at night she used to just listen to him play and just loved 
you know, being around him and the music. Her love for music continued into high school. One of her friends said, Audrey would go around and pick up a few friends and take us up to Huckleberry Hill. No one lived close by and Audrey would get in the back of a pickup truck and say that was her stage. She would place her friends on the truck with her to sing and have them stop and listen to their echoes. She would say that it was the angels recording their singing. She also said that one day she would be on the Grand Old Opry. So Audrey had her own kind of music dreams as a teenager. Nice. I like these stories of young women just kind of standing up and claiming, this is my stage, and you right? will all listen, and that kind she of made them go out there and, and yeah. yeah. Yeah, that drive. So in the fall of 1940, Audrey, who was still just a high school senior, she ran off and eloped with her boyfriend and shacked up with him about 150 miles away from her very furious parents. <laughs> Uh, Shocked to no one by the summer of 1941. Yeah. And she was 18 years old, back home with her parents, expecting her first child. No way. Yeah. Lucretia, the woman who wrote this book, was born August 13th, 1941. Her husband, Audrey's, just went off to work one day and never returned. Lucretia says that he never attempted to see or speak with her for her entire life nor did he ever pay child support not a surprise i guess audrey got the official divorce papers in 1944 in the summer of 1943 audrey and two-year-old lucretia their lives changed forever audrey was actually working on a memoir herself that never ended up happening not at that time later in life but luckily lucretia found some of her mother's writing so this part's in audrey's own words Nice. It was late summer of 1943 that I first met a tall, skinny, part Indian, brown-eyed man named Hank Williams. He had a guitar strapped around his neck and was playing a medicine show in Banks, Alabama, my hometown. Something told me when I first heard Hank that someday he would be number one. She has all these intuitions. Oh, yeah. She has this intuition about the angels listening and the Grand Old Opry. Now she's got this. I love hearing these stories about these women in like the 40s and 50s who have that gift. She was on it for sure. So at intermission, the entertainers would walk around the audience and try to sell them some cure-all medicine. And when Hank walked over to Audrey, sparks flew. Audrey was with her Aunt Ethel, who must have noticed something's going on here and she was a really good wingman and she was like Hank like why don't you come out with us on the town tonight so that's what happened they ended up having a lot of fun and they made plans to hang out the next day Hank didn't have a car so Audrey went to pick him up and was shocked at the state of him she says that he looked like a tramp he was unshaven he had messy hair he was shoeless so Audrey helped to sober and clean him up and Hank laid on his backstory which I'm going to do now as well. I hope that this isn't uh, foreshadowing because, oh, okay, there's a look (laughs) on your face. Because do you remember when I did Carly Simon and the first time that she had seen James in adulthood, he was passed out on the couch in her dressing room. Yeah. So it's almost like, you know, the sparks flew first date and then that's how they presented themselves. Yeah. And then that was that foreshadowing into the rest of their... Oh, for sure. Do you want to hear a story about the word tramp? 
Yeah, please. So as we know, you know, like they're doing a Lady and the Tramp reboot. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, we talk about groupies and we've talked about slut shaming in the past. And then, you know, Tramp had become kind of a word associated with women. Mm-hmm. But really, I think it was more used as back in more the 30s. More vagabond yeah. and, you know. Mm-hmm. And so my grandmother, when she was still alive, uh, they wanted to, my cousins and my uncles wanted to give her a cat that they had found and it needed a home and they thought she was lonely. So actually the cat that's in my living room right now, we think that those cats might be related Mm -hmm. because they're about the same age and they were both like Callie, you know, was found under my mom's house. So anyways, they gave this cat to my grandma and they were like, what do you want to name her? And she was like, tramp and they were like okay how about bella and she's like okay so my aunt and uncle still have this cat uh tramp bella but every time i see her, i'm like hey tramp that's amazing all right i'm gonna give you a little bit of backstory on hank now okay hank was born hiram king williams on september 17th 1923 it's an interesting quite a name, name right He was born in Butler County, Alabama. He had an older sister named Irene. And like Audrey, he also had a brother who passed away, though much closer to his birth, you know, and before Hank was born. Hank was born with spina bifida, a birth defect which just affects the spine. And that would cause him pain for the rest of his life. Hank's family moved around a lot when he was a child until Hank was around six. His father was a World War I vet, And his dad began suffering from paralysis due to a brain aneurysm, and he had to enter a veteran's hospital where he stayed for close to a decade. So Hank's mother, she was very savvy, though, and she opened a rooming house in Georgiana, and both her and her children were making money before well before they were 10 years old yeah after school hank would bag peanuts he sold them on the street he would shine shoes any odd job he could get to help support the family he took so hank's mother was also musical she played the organ at their west baptist church and hank would stand by her side and sing gospel so around 10 or so hank met a street performer named rufus Payne, also known as t-tot T-Tot. So T-Tot taught. (laughs) He taught Hank the basics of playing guitar, singing the blues, and performing. So Hank's mom has said that she bought his first guitar when he was around eight years old. Hank also acquired another passion that he would take with him to the grave by age 11, which was a love of alcohol. No, 11? Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Well, I think my mom started smoking when she was like 13, so. He discovered. They didn't know any better. Yeah. He discovered a few swigs from a jug could transform him from this shy, awkward guy into this young, confident man, right? So by age 14, Hank knew music was his path and he began working to make it a career. In 1937, he entered an amateur talent contest at the Empire Theater in Montgomery and won first prize, which was $15, singing his original song, WPA Blues. He began playing at a theater now and then, as well as doing street performances, and that led to the WSFA, a radio station, which hired Hank to do his own 15-minute show twice a week for a salary of $15. 
And in the late 1930s, 15 was equivalent to about 250 U.S. Nice. Yeah, so that was a very impressive sum Musicians for a teenage today boy. today would be lucky to yeah. get that money. <laughs> for real. Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, you do it for the, the audience. Exposure? Yes. The experience? You do it because you love it. Yeah. No, we're just no. kidding. We're kidding. Of course. Musicians should get paid. Absolutely. So from there, Hank started his first band called the Drifting Cowboys. I also think this is about the time where he began being known as Hank and not Hiram. Hank's mom, Lily, became the band's manager and did a lot to help her son's career. Lily was awesome. Uh, Momager. Yes, exactly. She booked the show dates. She worked the doors for the events. She would feed and house the band members. She negotiated all the deals for their shows. She was a real tough broad, too. And if anyone in the audience tried to mess with her son, she was known to step in and fight alongside the band. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hank once said... There ain't nobody in this here world that I'd rather have standing next to me in a beer joint brawl than my ma with a broken bottle in her hand. Mm -mm -mm. (laughs) So in 1939, Hank was about 16. He ended up dropping out of high school in order for the band to tour. Right from the beginning, Hank had alcohol issues while on the road and spent a lot of the band's revenues on alcohol. Another setback came when he and his bandmates began to get drafted. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Hank got a deferment because of his back issues, but his entire band had to go and serve and new musicians had to come in. And it was kind of a constant rotation. Some would leave for their own issues. Some didn't like that Hank drank so much and they would leave because of that as well. He also started to lose gigs. He lost his gig at the radio station because he would show up drunk. And that's what led him to doing the medicine shows and meeting Audrey, though. That's pretty much the only job he could get at the time. This is the story that Hank told Audrey that day. And he added, there's something else I want to tell you, but I can't now. So Audrey didn't push him. But that evening, this is their second date, Hank said, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but will you meet me in Troy tomorrow and marry me? Mm-hmm. So Audrey must have had flashbacks to her first marriage, though, and decided it would be best to hold off on the marriage and get to know each other a little first. So over the next year, they worked side by side at a shipyard welding ship parts. And while they were happy together, both obviously had much bigger dreams. Audrey was real driving force in getting Hank's career back on track. So Audrey was actually welding? Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. She's so cool. You know what? I, one thing I am looking forward to with the move to the farmhouse in the spring is is, is that is like labor is, you know, like chopping the wood and carrying the things and maybe I'll learn how to weld. You have uh, such a romantic ideal of the farm. <laughs> it's like <laughs> my thoughts and then like reality. <laughs> like talk to me in talk to me in eight months. I'll let you know how it's all going. How's that welding going? <laughs> anyway, they both had bigger dreams, and Audrey was a real driving force getting Hank back on track with his music. She convinced him that they needed to move back to Montgomery for one, find him a new band to play with, get back on the radio. So Audrey, at this point, basically became the manager that his mom had been. Audrey once said, I knew what I wanted and I went after it. He was lucky with a God-given talent and I was lucky with a few brains. 
okay yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so with hank finally back working on his musical endeavors and drinking less audrey finally did agree to marry him on december 15th 1944 so their first year together wasn't very easy though hank audrey and audrey's daughter lucretia ended up moving into hank's mother's boarding house you can imagine hank's mother and audrey they're both such strong women who love this man so much and kind of want him for themselves and it wasn't the easiest relationship let's put it that way but oh and i wanted to add that lucretia says from the get-go hank treated her as if she was his own blood daughter and they had a very strong loving relationship nice good yeah so yeah both audrey and his mom kind of wanted the best for hank but also clashing with you know their own things and unfortunately all that tension led to hank kind of going back into the alcohol right okay yeah Yeah. okay so not laughing i'm just like shit. you know where it's going yeah don helms uh, a guitarist who was friends with the couple said i would venture to say that there was no couple that was more in love than hank and audrey but when hank would drink she would raise hell and he'd raise hell because she raised hell he would get to drinking more because she raised hell and she raised hell because he was drinking more. It was a bad scene for everybody, but I think she was raising hell for all of us, really. When Hank was off it, he was just a regular kind guy and they got along good. So this kind of became an endless cycle for the couple throughout their marriage, obviously. And Audrey would often leave him only to come back and Audrey also had the arduous task of collecting Hank when he went on benders. They'd have a show coming up. No one could find him. She'd have to search all the local haunts and try to track him down, sober him up in time. But sometimes he'd go like a week or two without drinking again and things would be happy and hopeful. He was making progress musically, though. He began working with the radio stations again, started writing a lot of his own songs. He published a songbook, and with Audrey's insistence, she kind of set it up. He headed to Nashville to set about getting a record contract. So Audrey had heard of a man named Fred Rose, who had a publishing firm, and set up a meeting with him. And this led to Hank getting a six-song contract. So on December 11th, 1946, Hank had his first recording session. Two of these songs, Never Again and Honky Tonkin, became successful enough to capture the attention of MGM Records. And in 1947, Hank signed with them and released his first ever massive hit, which many actually consider to be one of the first early rock and roll songs. It was called Move It On Over. And uh, maybe we should play a clip. Yeah, let's do it. So, by spring of 1948, Hank got a three-year exclusive songwriting contract with Acuff Rose and was on his way to being known as one of the greatest songwriters of his time. But it was also kind of a bittersweet time because of the rockiness of his relationship with Audrey. He was kind of a violent drunk, and while 
he did enter the hospital on more than one occasion at Audrey's insistence, you know, for his alcoholism. He always would go back to drinking. It's like I totally get that, you know, with how alcohol can turn people like that because um, it runs in my family. So all of the men on my mom's side of the family have been given ultimatums at some point or another by their wives. My grandfather, both like both of my uncles, and they've all had to quit. Even still to this day, my one uncle only drinks near beers. Mm. And um, yeah, even like, you know, brothers who are the nicest guys in the whole world, cousins, they drink and they turn into completely different people. It's amazing. And it's the men. Yeah. It's amazing. Some people... They just, they're a happy drunk or just content or, and then other people, it does change their whole personality. It's crazy what alcohol can do. Yeah, it's so sad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the same month he got the deal, Audrey filed for divorce, stating, Hank Williams, my husband is 24 years of age. He has a violent and ungovernable temper. He drinks a great deal and during the last month has been drunk most of the time. My nervous system has been upset and I am afraid to live with him any longer. I bet that does something. Like I was just talking at the beginning of this episode about stress and what it can do. Oh, for sure. And about regulating a nervous system. A hundred percent. It's incredible how if your nervous system is upset, how it can just destroy your body, your mind. The divorce was granted, but by the time it was granted, they had reconciled and, you know, it became declared null and void. So that fall, they moved to Shreveport in Louisiana, where Hank joined a radio show called Louisiana Hayride, which greatly broadened and strengthened his audience all over uh, Southeast America. That winter, he did another recording session, this time with Audrey by his side for two duets. They did Lost on the River and I Heard My Mother Praying for Me. Now, here's the thing. Also, I guess not a big shock. In history books, it's kind of written like this. Audrey was a constant nagger who desperately wanted to be on stage, part of the band, and that was a constant issue they argued on. But Audrey was part of his act pretty much from the get-go. I think the main reason people think this, other than just the Yoko syndrome thing where like, surely this woman is affecting things. The problem is, though, Audrey didn't have Hank's talent musically. She just didn't. She was pretty bad. I'm not going to lie. But Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I think I expected. <laughs> Lucretia says that her mom had trouble keeping time, and it did aggravate Hank at times. But she said, I think daddy had mixed emotions about the whole affair because mother was a pretty woman, and he rather enjoyed having her on the stage with him to show her off. Mm. Don Helms is quoted as saying, I never heard her say, now you've got to put me on. You've got to put me on. She was just always there and ready to go. And sometimes Hank would call her up. When he did, she was proud and tried her best. Audrey had to take a break from all that, though, by late 1948 because she got pregnant. Hank Williams Jr. was born May 26, 1949. And he came in at 10 pounds, three ounces. That's a big old baby. Poor Audrey. My Mm. goodness. On June 11th, 1949, Hank got to live out the dream of every musician at the time and played the Grand Old Opry. He actually auditioned in 1946 and was rejected. But this time, he was not only welcomed, he became the first performer to receive six encores. Almost immediately, Hank Williams became Hillbilly Music's first superstar. 
Audrey didn't get to be there since it was so soon after she gave birth. But by midsummer, the whole family moved to Nashville and Audrey's dream for them and Hank was really becoming a reality. Suddenly, there was a steady stream of money that was not only able to pay for Hank's you know, addictions, but also a house which she began remodeling and a caregiver to help with the kids. Uh, one really cool remodeling design that Audrey put in was a wrought iron railing at the front of their house that was decorated in the notes of Lovesick Blues, a song that Hank recorded that was a major hit for him and helped him get that home in the first place. That's cute. Yeah. It reminded me of Elvis. Yeah. And, yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. Oh, for sure. Right? We share one mind now. The new home wasn't the only thing Osri spruced up. She knew that image was important. She ordered custom Western outfits for herself, Hank, the entire band. This is when the nudie suits kind of were introduced. So we have Audrey to thank for that classic country look that so many artists, including Graham Parsons, adopted later on. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So Don Helms, the guitarist in the Drifting Cowboys, said this of Audrey in Nashville. Some of the women in Nashville didn't like Audrey because she always dressed nicer than they did. And some men didn't like her because they felt like, hell, you can't get to Hank anymore without going through Audrey. Audrey was maybe overdressed sometimes, but she looked so much sharper than anybody else. She had very expensive clothes. Some women that can't have that don't like it. And I don't recall her ever refusing to let anyone see Hank, but I think people thought that and it built the barriers themselves. So again, it's like with Yoko, right? Thinking this woman is controlling what the man's doing, right? But no, not at all. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. So Aji was still at the business front of things as well. Jerry Rivers, Hank's fiddle player, said she was the drive in his business because he didn't like most of it. Sometimes he wouldn't even want to go to the Opry on Saturday nights. He'd raise hell about it and she would tell him what he needed to do. But that's the way he'd go. And most of the time she was right. Then everyone would say, poor Hank, (laughs) what a great guy and a great singer. And Audrey did him like that. So, yeah, it sounds like Audrey was like a manager and a mom and 
you know. And she was hated for it. Yeah, but this guy wouldn't have had a career without these women and his mom, I'm sure, when he was a teenager, pushing him forward, booking those gigs, being like, well, you booked the gig, like, you got to do the gig, you know? Mm -hmm. So that fall, Hank, Audrey, and the rest of the band did a tour to entertain the U.S. Air Force bases in Europe. And by the end of 1949, Hank was the second best country music seller in America. So he was massive now. So obviously things with the couple were still nothing but highs and lows, highs and lows. Hank, like so many other artists, pretty much all of his best songs are written from personal experience. And you can hear their marital struggles in songs like why should we try anymore? And why don't you love me like you used to do? So let's play a clip of Why Don't You Love Me. Well, why don't you love me like you used to do? How come you treat me like a worn out shoe? My hair's still curly and my eyes are still blue. Why don't you love me like you used to do? Ain't had no loving like a hugging and a kissing and a long, long while. We don't get near country mile why don't you spark me like you used to do and say sweet nothing's like you used to coo i'm the same old trouble that man that song is so good it's so good so audrey was still harboring dreams of a recording career for herself and in april of 1950 she recorded seven sides for decca records three of which were actually her own compositions which is pretty cool now, I've already kind of warned you all that Audrey was not the best singer, but I guess we should also play a little clip of something she recorded, right? Oh, so yeah. here's a piece from her original song, Tightwad Daddy. And I'm going to have us just pause for a moment because I want you to hear and I want your opinion on it. Tightwad Daddy. Daddy. I'm going to I'm gonna put that into YouTube right now. I got a long, tall daddy, but he knows nothing about love. I'm satisfied to be his turtle dove. We don't hold hands cause we both wear boxing gloves. He's my long, tall, tight wad daddy. The way he counts Thoughts? I personally like a woman who, like, quote-unquote can't sing Mm -hmm. and I think it's because if you take some people who aren't like these traditionally great singers like um Bob Dylan or yeah I don't know fill in the blanks anybody else who maybe in 2019 people would be like no thanks I don't think women were really afforded that same oh for sure um also if you pass if you read about what people thought of Audrey at the time everyone talks about what an amazing personality she was and how she just glowed on stage. And I think seeing it live might have made a difference because you didn't, you, you kind of forgive. I mean, she's still better than other people, you know? I think Audrey could have been in a punk band. <laughs> I don't think the 1940s, like, hi, go, yeah, go, yeah. like, honky tonk and why, like, she's trying to do the, like, hillbilly I think thing. Maybe that's just not suiting yeah, the yeah. voice that she does. She have. can hit notes. She's just trying to hit some that she can't, type of thing. Yeah, just not her style. Yeah. But, you know, maybe 40 years later, that yeah. would have been appreciated. Maybe. So, yeah, while she wasn't the greatest singer, 
she was a great entrepreneur. And in 1951, they opened the Corral, which was a store that sold Western-styled outfits for fans who wanted to dress like them. They even sold custom-made Hank and Audrey dolls as souvenirs. So she was a very smart business lady. I would like a Shanti and Lynx doll. If oh anybody God. out there can make knitted dolls or, you know, those cute little yeah. things. I would love that. I would love a Shanti and Lynx doll. <laughs> so now that they had plenty of money coming in, they began to be known for how charitable they were. They were constantly picking up the check for everyone, helping out friends in financial need, and would even send money to fans that wrote them about their hardships. Yeah, they really wanted to help others now that they could help themselves. So cute little side story here. Hank would also let other musicians come on his show. And one night, a young boy named Lamar Morris came up and he went to Hank and he begged him not only to be part of the show, but to sing Hank's hit song at the time, which was Hey Good Lookin'. Hey Mm. Good Lookin', Mm -hmm. right? Uh, So not many stars would be okay with this, but Hank told Lamar he could do it. And many, many years later, Lamar would go on to marry Lucretia. No way. Oh, I just got chills. Right? So cool. So for the most part, Lucretia says her dad's drinking issues weren't overly severe between 49 and 51, though he would sometimes still visit places to dry out before a tour here and there. But he had an accident in the fall of 1951 and re-injured his back. If you remember, he had spinal bifida. That accident kind of triggered those scars, injuries, whatever. And he was forced to have surgery that December. So from then on, basically, Hank was always in a lot of pain. So he was now using both alcohol and whatever medication he could get from doctors. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like it. So obviously, this combo, along with constantly away touring, that wasn't helping his relationship with Audrey. Both were still so young and had issues with jealousy. Their friends and their daughter talk about the Nashville scene causing issues for them, too. There were people who would feed their insecurities, women who would tell Hank, like, Audrey's been doing this. And, you know, Audrey would be like, well, you're on the road doing God knows what, right? So they were still very much in love, but the fights really never stopped. Friends also witnessed Hank being violent with Audrey on nights when he was, you know, really, really drunk. And one even remembered a night that he waved around a gun and they had to convince Audrey to leave the house with them so nothing seriously bad would happen so june carter cash was actually a friend of theirs and she summed up their relationship like this it was a love with such possession power jealousy and hate that it consumed like a fire it was burning him alive whoa yeah they had an intense relationship so because of his back operation hank was unable to perform at this new year's event in baltimore but he was scheduled to play And Audrey went in his place with a recording of him apologizing to fans. But before she left, they had a big blowout. Uh, As Audrey was leaving, Hank fired the gun that he had four times. And she said, I don't think Hank was really shooting at me. I don't really know if he wanted me to think that or if he wanted me to think he was shooting himself. I went on to Baltimore anyway. On New Year's Eve, I called him and said, Hank, I'll never live with you another day. Mm hmm. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Did she stick to it? She did this time, actually. So on January 10th, 1952, Audrey filed for divorce. 
she cited cruel and unhuman treatment. Oh. Yeah. Hank was really suffering during this period. Being away from his family and his back pain had him really deep in depression, which of course led to an increase of pain medication and alcoholism. When he got back on stage, he could barely manage a show. When Hank filed his response to the divorce in March, he denied Audrey's allegations and put in a complaint stating Audrey refused to appreciate the obligations of married life. <gasps> yeah. He also, and I mean. That could mean so many things. <laughs> I know. And it's like, again, this is like the 50s, right? So. Yeah. Uh, he did say that she neglected her wife and motherly duties by insisting that she was also an entertainer and was adamant about joining him on the road. What? He's allowed to have a career and she's not? Nope. Uh, neither mentioned Hank's addictions in their complaints, which is interesting. It was also revealed in Hank's complaint that Audrey had gotten pregnant and had a home abortion, which he found out about only because she got an infection and had to go to the hospital. So the divorce was granted on... So he put that into the divorce? Yes. Okay. As one of the reasons. The divorce was granted May 29th, 1952. Audrey retained custody of the kids, her yellow Cadillac convertible, and their home. She was also granted half of Hank's royalties, so long as she never remarried. Okay. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. Apparently, this is what Hank wanted. He like he wanted to make sure she was okay and everything. She, she didn't like have to force money out of him or anything. But yeah, that that as long as you don't get married part is interesting. Most believe that Hank was still hopeful that there would be a reconciliation at some point because he he didn't want the divorce to begin with. Everything they went through, Hank put in his songs. There's just so many. I can't fit them all into one episode, but the song titles say it all. I still want you. I'm so lonesome. I can cry. You win again. House without love. Help me understand. I can't help it if I'm still in love with you. Let's turn back the years. I lost the only love I knew. I don't care if tomorrow never comes. I mean, holy crap. Do you think that that, you know how um, you can think about country music and it has this reputation or it's this, this joke that, oh, country music is just about, you know, my truck broke down and my wife left me and my dog is dead. Yeah. Do you think that... That he contributed? Hank was or? the kind of like, you know, the sad cowboy who's... it's That's an interesting, especially since his was really a starting point for all i mean he was like hillbilly right mm -hmm. hillbilly country but that stems into regular country it stems into rock and roll like yeah i feel like he definitely set a precedent of putting out all your feelings into the music and making it personal i listen to uh, blake shelton sometimes What's, what does he sing about gwen stefani <laughs> <laughs> They're married or something. Yeah, that's right. Anyways. Well, Audrey was hurting as well during this period. They really did love each other, but obviously circumstances made it kind of unbearable for them to be together. Audrey did her best to move forward, both from Hank and with her career. She planned her own tour. She was still performing herself. That spring, Hank was in real terrible shape. His back was a constant issue. There was his drug and alcohol abuse. He was also touring and performing a lot, but he certainly wasn't at his best. And a lot of them got canceled. Mm -hmm. One constant through his career was his weekly shows at the Opry, which he was always able to attend even while on tour. But now he was 
becoming more unreliable. He would show up wasted or not at all. So by August of 1952, even though he was still a huge star, he got fired. His friend Johnny Wright was there when Hank got the call. He said, Hank was drinking real bad. I was over there a lot with him then. He leaned against the screen door one time. He thought it was latched and fell through the door and skinned his face all up. It just busted my heart when she left me. It's really hard to take. That's the words he said to me. Mm -hmm. So by this point, Hank, like so many other musicians who struggle with prescription drug addiction, had a so-called doctor who was constantly by his side plying him with drugs. Lucretia said it wasn't until later that they found out that this man who was named Toby Marshall was a self-styled doctor, as she puts it. Cool. Yeah. Uh, And he, he was on parole for a forgery conviction. So that fall, Hank was in and out of hospitals and sanitariums while also in between playing as many gigs as he physically could. His body was really feeling the ravages of all that abuse. He suffered at least two minor heart attacks, and his back was in so much pain while on the road that he would often lie down in the back of the car or bus and just cry the whole way there. Oh, yeah. ouch. So some very strange things were happening in regards to Hank's love life at this time. Obviously, this poor man is very lonely. He just wants Audrey, can't have her. He did meet a woman named Bobby Jett in the spring that him and Audrey got divorced. Almost immediately, Bobby got pregnant. She was around that summer, but by the fall, Hank obviously decided not to stay with Bobby and a strange settlement was agreed upon. So Bobby was living at Hank's mother's boarding house. So was Hank, I think, at this point. He really couldn't take care of himself. So Hank was to pay for Bobby's way until she had the baby. And then it was agreed that he would pay her rent, the doctor and hospital bills, and give her 300 a month and 100 a month to Bobby after she had the baby. So then Hank was to provide Bobby a one-way plane ticket to California and custody of the child was supposed to be given to Lily Stone, Hank's mom, for a period of two years after the birth with Hank providing financial support for the kid during that time. Such a bizarre thing. Did the mother want the child to be with Hank's mother? I don't know. Was she like, cool, peace, I'm off to California? Or was she like, well, it's either this or I get nothing? I think so. Okay. Um, She agreed to it. It's all... No judgment. I don't... The craziest part about this, though... I don't know. It's... Even more bizarre when you discover that Hank wouldn't even acknowledge that this child was his. And there was a clause in the agreement saying this was in no way to be constructed as him admitting that he was the dad. So, right? (laughs) It ended by saying Bobby was to release Hank of any and all future claims arising out of her condition or the birth of the child. So, I don't know. Very strange, very strange thing. Then, if it didn't get any weirder, on October 18th, 1952, Hank decided to marry a 19 year old country singer named Billie Jean Eichelman. Yeah. June Carter Cash said right before he married her, they were all at a basketball game and Hank thought that he saw Audrey. She said he would always see her somewhere and that Hank confessed to June and her sister Anita days before the wedding that he wished he were marrying Audrey. That didn't stop him from getting married to Billie Jean, though. So 
They got married in a private ceremony but repeated their vows before two sold-out audiences the two nights after. So it does kind of feel like it was a bit of like a publicity stunt kind of thing. Yeah. Of course, that marriage was a disaster from the get-go. If Audrey couldn't take care of Hank, how could this 19-year-old girl who had no idea what she was getting herself into? They moved in together. She was over her head. Hank's mother basically took on the caregiver role again, knowing there wasn't much poor Billie Jean could do for him. As I mentioned, Hank's still performing here and there. He managed to do this because of the drugs and everything he was taking. There were drugs to make him relax, drugs to ease his pain, drugs to get him going. Toby Marshall. It's that typical Judy Garland, Elvis Presley, insert any other rock star through all of the generations yeah. here. Yep. Yeah, it's frustrating. Huh? So Toby Marshall was giving him pure adrenaline to get through the shows. Yeah. That December, he's on tour. One of the performers that was with him was a man named Billy Walker who said this. I talked to Hank a lot on that trip. He said he was going to get rid of Billy Dream and try to get Audrey back and get his life straightened out. He told me he knew he was in bad shape and wanted to get away from the doctor whose hold on him was drugs. He knew his body was messed up and he desperately wanted to try to get it straightened out. I think he had been physically attracted to Billie Jean, but he wanted to go home. He told me he could never love anyone but Audrey. All the time we were together, I didn't see him eat but half a hamburger on two or three occasions. We're talking about 10 or 12 days. He got worse as time went on. So after that tour, Hank ended up living back at his mom's boarding house. Him and Audrey must have spoken. She must have had a change of heart herself because as Christmas came around, Lucretia does remember that she kind of was getting the house ready for Hank maybe to come home. Uh, He had a few more performances to go before the new year. He was to perform in West Virginia on December 31st and January 1st in Ohio. Hank hired a 17-year-old boy to drive him to both shows. The show on the 31st ended up being canceled because of bad weather, so they went straight to the hotel. Hank was so drunk that he had to be carried up to his room by the porters. While there, Hank called for the doctor. The doctor ended up giving him two shots of morphine. They were instructed to immediately head on to Ohio for the next show, so the 17-year-old and the porters at the hotel carried Hank back out to the car because he was so out of it, he couldn't even move. So a few hours into the drive this kid discovers Hank is dead. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, I yeah. I think that killed him. Yeah. Yeah. He was only 29 years old. Hank. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. His body was back, back to his mother's boarding house. That's devastating. Right? It's crazy. It's crazy. All the women that had loved him finally gathered around together for this moment. They held the funeral at the Montgomery Municipal Auditorium on January 4th, and over 25,000 fans showed up to mourn. Mm. Two days after the funeral, his daughter with Bobby was born and did go on to live with Lily, Hank's mom, like that was agreed upon. Lily died in 1955, and his daughter was adopted by a family of no relation. So there are many years of legal battles with all the women in Hank's life because they all kind of wanted their share. Uh, I'm not going to get deep into that. Lucretia does talk all about that in her book if that's an interest to anyone. Other than those battles, Audrey was not handling Hank's death so well. Lucretia says, 
Audrey's own alcohol issues started to arise and there was a bit of a backlash against her in the public eye. She was sort of becoming known as the woman who didn't save Hank Williams and caused all his problems. Yeah, blame the woman again. People who know Hank and Audrey knew that he would use their relationship as material for songs. So when you're listening to your hero sing about this woman with a cold, cold heart or your cheating heart, and you know, it didn't always paint Audrey in the nicest way. But of course, you're only getting like half the story, right? Right. This also made her a curious draw for fans, though. And for the next year, Audrey went on the road participating in a lot of Hank Williams tributes. Hank was more famous than ever, and his records were really selling fast. She also recorded more songs. She still harbored that dream of being a singer. She wasn't going to let anything stop her. As the 50s progressed, Audrey's business side came out even stronger. In 1957, her and Eddie Crandall opened the Williams Crandell Talent Agency, which was dedicated to putting together country acts for road tours, doing promo work. They also collaborated on the Hank Williams Memorial Foundation, and she put together the Audrey Williams National Talent Search and Audrey Williams Musical Caravan of Stars. (laughs) So she was a real busy lady in the music industry. And with Eddie Crandell, it wasn't just business. She did have a relationship with him for a while as well. So one of the promoters that she worked with at the time described her working on a tour. The crowds were big and Audrey was pleased. She was the star of the show, the center attraction, and she was excited. The show was more successful than she had expected. Many people were eager to see Mrs. Hank Williams in person. Audrey ran things backstage as well as doing a credible job on stage. I believe this was her first being the boss experience and it appealed to her very much. Audrey, her generosity is deeply noted at this time as well. She helped many young musicians as well as old friends of Hank's with whatever they needed without making a big deal out of it. She would either find them work or help out financially wherever she could. She was very much like Hank in that way. She really wanted to make sure his legacy remained alive as well and to help the next generations of musicians find their path. All the musicians and businessmen who worked with her have nothing but amazing things to say, how lovely she was, how easy she was to work with. She always got the job done. She never argued over little things. She didn't tell musicians how to play. She trusted that everyone knew their job. And they all say that while Audrey didn't have the greatest voice, the audiences always loved her. And she was just so beautiful and lovely. And she made that personality really work for her. Um, A man named Vic Lewis said... During this period, Audrey was held in favor and esteem. She was revered not only by country music folk, but by industry generals, business persons, and artists of note. She was usually treated majestically. The snap of her fingers would command instant service. People nearly curtsied in her presence. Mm -hmm. She absolutely radiated affluence, authority, and charm. Not only did she have a striking appearance, she always had an aura of energy that overwhelmed friends and adversaries alike. So she really sounds like quite a lady. Yep. Yeah. Another one that I really liked to quote was, there's never been a better singer than Hank Williams, but as far as a person to work for, there's never been a better person than Audrey. Fantastic. Yeah. That's why I love this. I love this so much because... More people need to know these stories. So by the end of the 50s, 
The shows were kind of becoming a family affair. Hank Williams Jr. was now eight years old. He was performing. By all accounts, he was a natural like his dad. Lucretia also joined in, but she really hated the spotlight, so that didn't last long. She ended up marrying that man, Lamar, that I mentioned, when she was 18. With Lucretia leaving that young, that really gave Audrey time to focus more on Hank Jr. and Hank Sr.'s legacy. So in 1964, MGM turned Hank's life into a film called Your Cheatin' Heart with, I I know, right, the titles. Uh, George Hamilton played Hank and Susan Oliver played Audrey. Even though Audrey had a role in overseeing the project, they did not really portray her in the greatest light. What else is new, right? MGM also failed to mention that he remarried and his wife, Billie Jean Horton, uh, ended up suing MGM and got a nice paycheck for that. Yep. Oh, good for you, Billy Jean. Lucretia's really not sure why her mom didn't fight the studio more on the script, because not only does it come across like her herself pretty awful, it's not very factual either. Um, maybe she did try and was overpowered by the studio, or maybe, as Lucretia mentions, Audrey was having her own kind of alcohol problems at this time, so maybe she didn't have a fight in her. Uh, She did, however, fight to get Hank Jr. on the soundtrack. He sings his dad's songs in the film. I think he was about 15 at the time. Sadly, putting this version out was kind of damaging for Audrey's reputation, though, and it helped solidify that whole good-for-nothing nag and wife. too bad, yeah. Yeah. Audrey also began dating younger men and setting some of these men up in apartments and taking care of them financially. Lucretia talks about how hard that kind of was for Lucretia and Hank Williams. But you got to remember, Audrey's just in her late 30s at this point. Like, she's young, but there is, I guess it's like their mom. It's like this old woman dating these younger men. But yeah, like, go Audrey. (laughs) It's just strange, you know, because Hank had a mother who was, you know, wiping his butt until he was in his 20s. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, not actually, but you know what I mean. And then Hank had Audrey taking care of him. And then now Audrey is kind of mixing that, like... Yeah. And she got married for the first time at 18. She was a mother at 18. Like, it's her first kind of time being alone in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, she was lonely. She missed Hank, and I, I feel for her. She did one awesome thing in the 60s she started another business this time a publishing company she did this because hank jr had begun writing his own songs but soon the company was representing other songwriters as well overall though things weren't that great for audrey her body began to slowly show the effects of her own alcoholism in 1967 she had to have surgery doctors found a blood vessel that tore and was bleeding in her stomach They had to remove part of her stomach and reroute her intestines. Uh, So yeah, that took a toll on her. She had to work less. Hank Jr. was now becoming a young adult, kind of wanting to distance himself from his mother. So that was another kind of blow to her like it was to Lily with Hank, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's kind of exactly what I was going with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Another crushing blow came in 1968 when she battled in court over the copyrights of Hank's songs. As Lucretia put it in the book, the ruling against her having the rights to them was more than just a money issue. She wrote, what really hurt was the devaluation of the role she played in keeping daddy's name and music alive. She devoted the last 15 years of her life to those goals, and now the court had essentially declared her efforts insignificant. So oh, that is a like off court, right? 
One final thing Audrey attempted musically for herself was an interesting one. She put together her own girl group called the Cold Cold Hearts. <laughs> and she booked some tours with them. But Audrey now was repeating Hank's life. She was caught up in drinking. She It showed on stage that whole tour you know wasn't as successful as it could have been because she was not at her best right so i'm going to start wrapping up now because as lucretia says there's hardly anything good to tell about the last eight years of audrey's life oh so sad yeah it was like watching her go down the same road with her drinking and pills that daddy had traveled only a lot longer so she had to have more surgeries there were suicide attempts duis financial issues it was not a pleasant end for audrey one final thing she did in the 70s to preserve hank's memory though was to create a little museum on their property of his stuff and she opened it for the public to come and see his legacy and thought that was pretty cool mm -hmm. they had their own kind of graceland thing yeah. happening. yeah i mean the way that i was thinking earlier too that you know the way that priscilla what she did for Elvis's estate once he died sound is kind of familiar exactly. except like Priscilla is still going strong yeah yeah so Audrey passed away November 4th 1975 a day before the IRS were set to take her home like that's how bad it got for her she was only 52 yeah yeah wow. she didn't have any pills or alcohol in her system but by that time she was supposed to take pills to prevent epilepsy she had a prescription but she didn't renew it so i think lucretia thinks she purposely didn't renew it you know she she was ready to go basically her grave is next to hank's grave in montgomery to wrap up about everyone else, I couldn't find much on Lucretia. I think she's still alive, but she, she never liked the spotlight. It makes sense there's not much out there on her. Hank Williams Jr. ended up having a full career. He's 70 now. He has five kids. He's released 40 albums, <laughs> uh, the most recent in 2016. So he's doing pretty good. Hank's love child, the one that went up for adoption, she didn't find out who her birth parents were until the 1980s. She ended up marrying the attorney that helped her discover her roots. And she fought to get herself legally named one of Hank's children, which happened around 87. The courts found that she had been victim of fraud and judicial error and ruled that she was entitled to her half share cool. of the Williams estate. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Right. So her and Hank Jr. are the sole heirs of the. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she actually published a memoir in 1990 called Ain't Nothing As Sweet As My Baby, The Story of Hank Williams' Lost Daughter. And she now goes by the name Jet Williams. Interestingly, she is also a musician, and you can go on YouTube and see her performing some of Hank's songs. <laughs> so I guess she found a connection through her dad You know, yeah. once she found out who he was. Her latest album was in 2017. I did want to mention they also recently made another movie about Hank Williams <laughs> <laughs> called I Saw the Light and Tom Hiddleston plays Hank and Elizabeth Olsen plays Audrey. <gasps> I love Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah. Is Tom, I'm, think, I'm, I'm trying to think who Tom Hiddleston is. I think I know. Does he, has he played a couple of different country music stars before? I don't know. I just know him from like Marvel. Okay. Um, He's in so much. But I can't remember any of them. Right oh, okay. Now. No, it's not the guy that I'm thinking of, but that's cool. And I love Elizabeth Olsen. So I'm going to be honest, it? though. Is it bad? I tried my best to watch it. Damn it. The writing's kind of terrible. They're pretty good, though. Tom Hilson is no Hank. He sings. You don't 
feel it the way you feel it when you listen to Hank Williams, for sure. I, I ended up stopping it around the time that Hank yelled at Audrey, oh, you want it all, don't you? You want to whore around and still be Mrs. Hank Williams? And I was like, I'm done. <laughs> so Okay, I will not watch it then. <laughs> I mean, is, I, I just want to watch it because Elizabeth Olsen's yeah. beautiful to look at. So, all right. Um, but hey, well, maybe it was for someone else. But that's, uh, that's Hank and Audrey's story. Fantastic. It's wild to think that we're talking about his son who's 70. I know, Like really right? when you started and you were like uh, <laughs> talking about the 1940s. I'm like, oh, wow, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. Let's talk about music then. It's um, And the fact that, that was he great. died at 29. Like yeah. it's just insane. I had no idea. So uh, I, I had no idea. And then even going back and listening to the, some of those songs, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. And, and I grew up with listening to him because of my dad and right. I didn't even know about Audrey until the past year or two so when I found out I was like wow I gotta I gotta add that to the list so that was great thank you so much thank you and I, uh, I hope you enjoyed it dad uh-huh all right that wraps up another episode of muses if you want more rock and roll related podcasts head over to our network pantheon pantheonpodcast.com there's a whole bunch of podcasts out there for you to listen to so thank you so much if you want to support us it means the world if you can share the episode if you want to post it on instagram or facebook or tag us in any of your posts i think that's our our favorite thing really oh for sure every time we get a uh, notification of that i'm just like ah heck the itunes reviews yeah heck them tag us in your instagram (laughs) posts we reshare them and we love it and that's how we know you're listening so thank you so much now you're looking at a man that's getting kind of mad i had a lot to look but it's all been bad no matter how struggle and strive i'll never get out of this world alive my fishing pole's broke, the creek is full of sand. My woman run away with another man. No matter how struggle and strive, I'll never get Muses is produced by Chantal Lemieux and Lynx O'Leary and is part of the Pantheon family of podcasts. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at Pantheon Podcasts. All songs can be found wherever you get your music. Please download and purchase these great and important tracks. Come find us at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. Or see us at R&R Archaeology on Instagram. Hello, dear stranger. I'd like to introduce you to something new. Or perhaps something very, very old. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine is a horror fantasy medical mystery following the titular monk turned traveling medical investigator. Follow Radolf as he navigates a nightmare world in which viruses are gods and the human race are not their favored children. Steeped in history and an aesthetic that can only be described as a combination of occult academia and laboratory Judaica, The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine 
have been described as Umberto Echo meets H.P. Lovecraft. For more information, check out the Patreon at thorb.info. But take care, dear stranger, for some truths are best left unknown. <laughs>